When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Breakpoint Recap Show. This is episode four, titled Great Expectations. I'm Gil Gross with Alex Gruskin. On this episode, uh, they go to Madrid to follow Paula Badosa and Anz Jabur. If you are new to the show, this is an episode-by-episode dissection of the new Netflix docuseries on tennis titled Breakpoint. And, uh, yep, as I said, this is episode four. Uh, Gruskin, any YouTube comments from the last episode that you would like to address? There were plenty of fun ones. I would first like to address, before I get to the comments, the fact that you look wonderful in your LS apparel. And I have to say, I am hoping our listeners will have thoughts on mine as well. These colors are sharp. They say the man makes the shirt, but certainly in this instance, the shirt is making the man. I feel like my eyes, my eyebrows are popping in this collar. And so shout out to our friends at LS for outfitting us. I think we look good today, Gil. I agree. I could not agree more. Yeah. Now, comment of the day, the disgust, I forget the name of the user, I apologize, but the disgust you displayed in my naming of uh, Andrew Krasny as the winner of last week's show, it, it, someone enjoyed your disgust very, very much, and that brought a smile to my face as I also enjoyed your disgust. That's half the way I uh, target my award winners Again, so kind has been the reception. And if there are any aspects of the show, by the way, that we haven't touched on that you would like us to, please let us know in that comment section. If you have any questions for us, we'd be happy to do a little mailbag. Maybe we'll do that even once we're done with all five episodes. But uh, yeah, again, the theme seems to be people are aware of your disgust and some of the things I say. Yeah, we have not finished an episode without me absolutely (laughs) furious at you. Uh, so we'll see if that. Well, let me continues. say that there are great expectations for today's show as well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, episode four begins with a uh, little little Madrid intro. They didn't do it up like Indian Wells, not not fully, but uh, we get Paula Bedosa in the car, dancing, laughing, having a little bit of fun, and the theme is, you know, very clearly right off the bat, similar to Taylor Fritz at Indian Wells. We're gonna have Bedosa at her home tournament as a Madrid native, actually born in New York City, Paula Bedosa, but, you know, calls uh, Madrid now uh, her home, and you get the title, Great Expectations. So that's kind of going to be the theme. It's that Bedosa is, this is kind of a, a Super Bowl event for her outside of the slams because she is from there. Um, do you like that the show has kind of picked out these occasions in terms of choosing how to follow a player. Um, you know, we've seen that a lot with Kyrgios in Australia, Fritz in California, and now Bedosa in Spain. 
Well, it's interesting you bring this up, and not to diverge or divert the podcast, I should say. Oh, by the way, one of my other favorite uh, comments was consultatory role was the proper pronunciation of that word is what I learned from the comment section as well. So shout out to that. My mispronunciation reminded me of that comment. We were talking about this before the show started because this episode is probably most similar to the first episode in this series in the fact that, yes, there was tennis in the background, certainly serving as the platform for which we are introduced to all of these personalities. But as I was watching this episode, and again, you and I, because we cover tennis for a living, we have to detach ourselves what we already know versus what we're learning. This very much reminded me during this episode that this is a first season, that yes, we've seen flashes of Bedosa and flashes of Jabur, but that this is really the first time the non-tennis-watching populace who's watching this show is going to be introduced to these characters. And so what was the theme of this episode is actually where I want to start. I know you mentioned Bedosa. I'll work in Jabur as well. I'm curious if you felt that as well, because my through line through these first four episodes, what connects them all, they've really all served as, dare I say, trailers for the second five episodes, or dare I say, season two, season three, where, okay, now I know who you are, show me more things. Is that fair? 100%, yeah, introductory. It's yeah. it's here's a character, we're going to get to know the character, and... For the Fritz thing, like that's why I, I do think the Fritz thing added something different because it wasn't just this is Taylor Fritz. And by the way, we were worried about that being really, really compelling. Luckily, it didn't have to be this is Taylor Fritz fully. It was it was yes, here's Taylor. This is his introduction. Like, let's just be honest. His background is a lot less interesting than Anz Jabers. Sure. Uh, but with Fritz, you had a story arc. You had a drama there that really carried it. With this episode, you didn't have that. I would argue, though, as I just alluded to, in those kind of introductory uh, phases, you had a lot more to chew on. So uh, with that said, I, I was thinking the same thing while I was watching this, that this is not really about the story arc of the Mutua Madrid Open. And to be honest, like, yes, was it significant that Jabir won the title here. Do I remember that title run and Jabir's successes? Was this kind of an announcement for Jabir? Absolutely. Do I remember what Bedosa did in Madrid? No, I did not remember that match <laughs> against Callum. Uh, so it, it wasn't as much a central tennis story as much as it was like we want to introduce Paula and Ans. Well, case in point, they didn't talk about the lack of Iga in the women's draw, and that Iga was in the midst of what turned into a 37-match win streak. Of course, I would say Iga, Iga Sviantek, the world number one on the women's side, who used this Madrid portion of the calendar post-Australian Open through the French Open as her cementing herself as the top player in the women's game. If it would have been tennis-centric, which I know tennis fans want, and this isn't a comment we've seen in our comment section, but certainly a sentiment I have seen expressed on tennis Twitter and elsewhere is that this series isn't necessarily tailored for tennis fans. And you used a great word at the start, introductory. Again, that's what it was. And in this episode, you know, they didn't feel the need to introduce Madrid as the vessel for the action as much as they did Indian Wells, right? It's just like, hey, this is another big tournament. Here's the players we're following as opposed to Indian Wells is this spectacle. And let's kind of get into the weeds a little bit with the tennis we're seeing unfold. 
again, that wasn't the case in this event, but in introdu- in this episode, excuse me, but in introducing these characters, I do think there were some things such as the sponsorship side and again, finding even further details of the background that we'll get into here today that do make this episode broadly appealing. Yeah, yeah. Well said and uh, a good introductory uh, it's the LS shirts. I'm feeling good our... <laughs> in this thought. It's like, that's what it is. If you're going to dress like this, come prepared. I am. They do start the show, right? There isn't there isn't that much Madrid. They do feel they have to explain Clay. They have to be like, this is Clay. Yeah. Did they do a good job? <laughs> Did they do a good job explaining Clay? Because I will have you know, to people who are unfamiliar with tennis, this fascinates them like i have had to explain the surfaces to so many people and uh the netflix was now in that position where they're like so clay so that's a great framing it's perfectly framed that is how they introduced it they were like hey (laughs) you know how again when you're in not college or maybe not even high school but middle school and they're teaching you to structure your writing and they're like start out with the introduction paragraph and try to keep it under six sentences that's literally what they did with this here's clay section of the of this show where they were like we're going to have Tom Yanovich talking about how it's more challenging than the other surfaces felix sort of mentioned the creativity now did they dive into the weeds no I think a tennis fan who's watching this series already knows the differences in surfaces, so they don't mind that they skip over that. I mean, again, if you are a fan who's now inspired to watch more tennis, you still they didn't unpack everything that comes with a clay court, but they addressed it. I liked it. Yeah, and I thought Felix and Isla offered were pretty great. good were great. good thoughts yes. like to Agreed. make it understandable. Like, this is how it's different now that we're on clay. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded like a little. This is Clay. (laughs) I wouldn't have minded like a little, uh, hey, you know, when Netflix could have made this cool, hey, like the ball's going to actually lose more speed when it hits the court. uh, Because that, I think, is the best way to understand the difference. Oh, and it's going to bounce higher with the topspin. I think that that could have been in there, but uh, Felix and Isla, wonderful job. All right. uh, We are introduced. To Bedosa, first of all, being number two in the world, that added pressure. Again, we go back to the title, Great Expectations. Uh, Juan Betancourt, her supermodel boyfriend, is introduced. I want to ask you, did we get enough Juan Betancourt in this episode? It depends who you ask. Now, there are certainly – I mean, again, if you are a hardcore tennis fan, he makes plenty of appearances in tennis Twitter We got to see him in the box. We got to see him enthusiastic. We got to see him as a part of her life. The I have it in my notes written. Oh, cute Instagram posts. Like, literally, that's the description. I think we got enough because how does he factor into her tennis life? I mean, he's just the, dare I say, the trophy cheerleader on the sideline. Like, he's not that big of a factor on that side of the equation in certainly the way that Jabir's husband as the trainer plays an intimate role, as we learn later. So, I mean, they introduced him. Clearly, he is the breath of fresh air, and that's the impression you get. Yeah, I, I agree. They, they He's didn't very need handsome. To... Exactly. Like, I was, yeah. I was curious to see, like, are they gonna, were they gonna, like, get into like who he is, and they yeah. didn't. But I mean, when the episode is about Paula, mm-hmm. it's like that. That is very much appropriate to just be yeah. like, he's there, and 
kind of leave it at that. Yeah. And that is the tennis fan relationship with Juan Betancourt. I mean, I, I don't know what he's up to with his career. Like, <laughs> No, I know he's a model. I thought we were going to get more on like how they met, but he was kind of like, I saw her on Instagram. I followed her. Now we're dating. And it was like, yeah, okay. That's, I guess, again, that's really all we needed. Yeah, yeah. You get it. Um, I mean, all right, this is stupid, but we're stupid on this show. Two beautiful people. They met. They liked each other. Sometimes it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No surprise that. It's like me and you. That they, they exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Now, Bedosa comes out and kind of introduces very early on in the episode that although she is world number two and is dating a supermodel and is traveling the world playing tennis, that it's not that easy for her mentally and that there is pressure and uh, financially as well. Uh, they get into equal prize money very early on. You have Chrissy Everett talking about about prize money. You have... Um, you have Jessica Pagula talking about equal prize money and then the, the general financial pressures of Patrick Maradoglu comes in and, and discusses those things. I, I believe, you know, Madrid is a Masters 1000s tournament uh, along with Rome where the prize money is not equal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, that is a huge part of, I think, the the Jabir kind of origin story and, and what makes her rise so remarkable. I think it's it's really important for people coming into the sport of tennis to understand that this is what, you know, this is one of the things that is a really big part of the sport kind of off the court that you can watch a tennis match and not think about it, but players are thinking about it all the time. This is where Maria Sharapova continues to thrive, in my opinion, in this series as well. She's another one who discussed the financial security yeah. and talked about, you know, again, you get a sponsorship, you think it's forever, but guess what? It's not. You have to keep winning. And again, who would be better positioned to speak on that than Maria Sharapova, who, truth be told, has more sponsorship money than just about anyone in the history of tennis not named a Williams sister. And can speak to what those pressures are like. We get to see what the obligations are like for Bedosa, who does radio hit after radio hit. They talk about the girl who didn't sleep the night before she had that opportunity to hit with Paula Bedosa. And you realize, again, especially as an individual athlete, they're not just members of a generic team and marketing for the Detroit Lions, let's say, my hometown football team. Like, yes, the quarterback's going to have to go do some photo shoots. Maybe he gets to do the occasional whatever. But any marketing Paula Bedosa wants done on Paula Bedosa, she's got to show up. The only representative of Paula Bedosa or any of these pro tennis players are themselves. And you see why they have to go do those things, right? Because there are financial challenges. You want to pay for all of these luxuries, all of these trainings. And this episode, again, for the tennis hardcore fans and for a casual fan, showed how difficult that can be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's a big part of the Bedosa introduction. And then we kind of go very quickly uh, after a big thing on Jabur. And I, I think I want to get to Jabur after. Go well, ahead. I do want to say, because there are some things, like you mentioned that equal prize money conversation. They did gloss over it fairly quickly. And yes, they showed a candid Pagula moment. I think she referred to it as bullshit. Like she's at these events just as long as the She men didn't are. call it. She didn't say it was bullshit. She said that people often come up to her 
and say that it's bullshit. Okay, well, I'll say it on her behalf. It is bullshit. Uh, because, like, I, you totally, that's something you sympathize, empathize with. And, you know, again, maybe that's something fans will mo- want to hear more of. Now, perhaps that's not Netflix's story to tell. We've talked about this before. They, I don't want to say have glossed over some of the points of conflict in the professional tennis world, but certainly they've been more than fine skipping over them. Um, they touch on some of these things that I think are significant touch points and relate to why tennis can often be a reflection of what we see in our culture right now and some of the struggles you see in a sport that's striving for not only pay equity but equality across the board. Is that not a reflection of what we see in society? And it's just like you want to – there's the hook. Like it was right there, and I'm surprised they didn't explore it more. Yeah, it, it just – it's a big – big complicated topic right so i do think season two i do think that they needed yeah they they would have needed to really kind of take you away from what they were doing here which is kind of tell the bedosa and jabir story in order to actually do that topic justice yeah so it doesn't really surprise me how they did it and i mean i i just thought it was they they couldn't have talked about the financial aspect and pressures of being a tennis player without bringing that up so sure. it needed to be in there they put it in there and that was kind of what they did so yeah. that that's how i look at it no that's fair Bedosa loses very early on right <laughs> uh to simona Halep. Yeah. one of the things that struck me here is they didn't explain that Halep is good <laughs> they kind of did. They like, did not. I no, thought they, they called did. her a former world number one, a two-time Madrid okay. champion. No, they said it very briefly, but okay. they did say it quickly. That said, you're right. They didn't explain the context of like, hey, 12 months ago, this player was arguably the best player in the world. Like it was her, it was Barty. That was the conversation. And we didn't reveal that sort of aspect. You're right. They also, it was funny, they used the term, uh, not upstarts, what's the term? Oh, disruptors. They called Sakari, Pagula, and Jabur disruptors. And if you're a hardcore tennis fan, you're like, three of the top ten players in the world are disruptors? Like, run me through that logic there. It, It speaks to the fact that, again, they haven't gotten into, hey, actually in the world rankings, all of these top 10 players are really, really good. And everyone, you know, top, there's there's these tiers. They, it's a whole thing you'd have to unpack. And so I'm not I didn't feel lost by not knowing who Halep was because they still reflected on the fact that Bedosa doesn't want to be losing this early and you shouldn't be when you're world yeah. number two. No, I, I'm not lost. I'm just, I'm just yeah. putting myself again, no, constantly putting myself in the shoes and it's just, I'm not criticizing. It's just funny. It was funny to me. So I was imagining (laughs) somebody watching who isn't aware of Simona Halep and like you, and I think I missed that little just introduction. Hey, she used to be world number one. She's won this thing twice. You would have just thought, Oh, Simona Halep is, you know, (laughs) just some player. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's true. I mean, again, it's funny because what if they open that can of worms and they already have Patrick Mortelou on set and you're like, oh, well, all right, Patrick, it's been 10 hours. Like, you've been talking consecutively. We really got to wrap this shoot. We wanted <laughs> one clip on the difference between Tunisia and Spain. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it's just because, again, this is the issue. There are so many characters in the tennis world. That's why I keep looking for a through line in this series. And they're just like, hey, these are the ones we're focused on. Yeah. So – the big thing with Bedosa, outside of you know just mm-hmm. introducing her, her team, 
she loses early. Uh, the theme there is here is someone who had a lot of success as a junior, and that success had a negative impact on her career, which is a pattern we see way too often. I do actually think uh, one one thing that happens, which is kind of frustrating, is is sometimes uh, the women's side is singled out in this aspect. I think we see it on both tours all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but the fact that Bedosa has been more open even before this this Netflix, right? This wasn't a this wasn't a, a come to Jesus moment for Netflix where Bedosa finally opens up to somebody. She's been talking about this for a while. Uh, the whole, you know, mental health struggles, been very, very open about it. And that's kind of the the differentiating factor for Paula Bedosa in this episode. Fair to say? Do you know who Philip Pelowo is, Gil? Who? No. Yeah, exactly. Four-time Junior Slam finalist. He did them all in the same season. He lost the first two. He won the next two. He's never been in the top 100 in his career. He made four Junior Slam finals in the same season, has never been top 100. So to your point, you're absolutely right. And I do think, again, a little nugget for the hardcore tennis fans is to see what the expectations of being a high-level junior do to you, how they wear on you. And you're absolutely right. That was the story for Paula Bedosa and to juxtapose, you know, the highs of her dancing in the video to start the episode, the smiles on her face to getting to do all these press things and playing in her home country to what I thought was one of the more powerful scenes we've seen through these first four episodes. They brought us inside the, and I don't know if that was certainly a mental health specialist. They referred to it as her coach, but they brought us inside the conversation of, hey, what's going through your head? during that Simona Halep match. And she says, I, you know, again, I felt like to the point of why am I even playing? Like, I I think that I don't want to get the quote wrong, but again, she used some severe terms and her coach says, you know, at that point, just, we know now moving forward, let's not compete anymore. Like if that's how you're feeling, you shouldn't continue to play. And I thought that was fat. It's just fascinating insight. And, you know, again, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but the last quote I would bring up from her that she talks about is the reason why she's so open about her mental health struggles is she says, you know, not talking about them is the exact wrong thing to do. And I hope by speaking about my issues, I can help anyone down the line. I think the insight we revealed from this, again, that's precisely what she's talking about. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I sympathize with an, especially in an individual sport, an athlete's an athlete's temptation to not let it be known, not let it be public. You want to uh, get across a strong front, right? That I am not, I am a, a not a fragile uh, competitor. I am a hardened competitor. I am a confident competitor. That is uh, not anybody's reality. I mean, just nobody. Uh, Maria Sharapova, uh, another great quote from her is that uh, for her, she said that, you know, confidence didn't really work for her. She wanted to go out onto the court every single time and feel like she's never won anything in her life. And that was the state of mind that that she got in. Uh, there was a moment where after the U.S. Open, I got to interview Jack Draper after his win against Felix. I said, did you expect to to pull off this upset? And he said, I, I never expect to win. I, I never, ever expect to win. So that is, uh, you know, all of the kind of overconfidence that maybe a tennis player feels like they, they might want to get across is is almost always fake. 
And getting it out, hopefully for Bedosa, has been beneficial in the sense that it's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And again, it's another thing that just shows you, we get back to the individual nature of tennis, just how devastating each and every one of these losses are. And you heard Taylor Fritz say it last week that 99% of players lose every week. And so every week, all but one person is feeling... Sometimes two, if it's a good run to the final, but you're feeling that sort of struggle, yeah. that sort of, you know, again, you just feel lost after that loss. You feel like, how am I so helpless out there when this is what I have dedicated my life to doing? Again, it's it's a fascinating pursuit, and I do think it offers something for fans to hold on to because, again, you see these players, they're not just – sometimes you feel like they're machines out there week after week putting forward these results, but you see what's happening to the player who's losing in the second round. I always love – there's a, a, a fine little detail that brings a smile on my face when they're like, hey, half the field is eliminated after the first round, and then they'll have like a little graphic, 64, turns into 32, and you're like, wait, 32 people. 32 of the 64, gone already. Your week over on day one. I think they frame it well. Yeah, I mean, as a fan of other sports, we look a lot at records, right? Like, all right, the, you know, the, the Chiefs are in the, the AFC Championship. What's their record? And you see yeah. something really good because the Chiefs are good. In, in tennis, you see good players, and they're two matches over 500. Yeah, 28 for, and for 24, half year. and you're exactly. like, great year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's actually incredible. No, Carolina Pliskova right now, who's in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, she is 28 and 24 over her last 52 weeks. And eight of those victories have come because she's made the quarterfinals at the past two majors. You're like, that's sometimes how it works. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Amazing. Uh, let's go to Jabur. Mm -hmm. um, I want to take this time. I really hope that this has been a this can be a line of demarcation, okay. where because Anz now has uh, an episode that's focused on her at Netflix, and she has said at the start, "Hello, my name is Anz Jabur," that there will be no mispronunciations of her last name from now on. This is someone who was the world number two, mm -hmm. playing the Wimbledon final. And we weren't getting her name right. I mean, it. It. I. I rarely, rarely. I will not call out any members of my broadcast community by name at all. But I just want to say it is embarrassing how much difficulty there's been with the name on Jabur. I would just say it's her, Jabur. Like that's how you remember it. It's pretty simple. Moving forward, I agree. It puts that to rest. And you know, another common sentiment amongst those who follow tennis is that she's you know referred to colloquially as the minister of happiness and that she does have this cult following one of those players with the 100 percent approval rating not only amongst fans but certainly amongst her peers as well no one seems to have a negative word to say about on and i think when you watch this episode you see why like just the constant upbeat demeanor yes yeah, she yells at herself on court we all do that but off the court there was never a down moment it was always about again the pursuit of the dream and you know living out this chase you can just feel she is doing exactly what she wants to be doing and she's loving it yeah we get to see her her mother 
cooking. What and were then, they making? What do you think that was? You know, I don't know. I, I wanted. Know. I was like, I need to try that. I was like, can I get the recipe? Yeah. Can we throw that totally. in the credits. <laughs> yeah. Um. Next time you come to LA, we can find some Tunisian. There's <laughs> all all cuisines in this city. That's what I like uh, to hear. One of the big themes also is that she keeps it close to her roots. Mm-hmm. You introduce her team, and I, I think potentially the biggest highlight, as we discussed at length in the last episode, one of the biggest highlights of this series has been getting to know the players' teams in a much more intimate way because they are a big deal. Anz's team, her husband acts as her physio, her coach is from Tunisia, and Anz talks about the fact that people were looking at her like, wait, you're just going to roll with this ragtag bunch. No, I think like, she calls them the three musketeers from Tunisia. Exactly. And it's like, wait, you're not going to go mm-hmm. like on. like, you've made a little bit of money. Like you can just go to the Patrick Maradoglu Academy now and mm-hmm. use their coaches and their physios. Like you're, you're at that level now. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, like my mission is to do this the way that I want to do it, which is with my people my circle and my country yeah no it's fair and look we've talked about all the first for her on the pro tour and this is one thing they missed in this episode i would have loved to seen a dichotomy between they mentioned paula bedosa is a junior slam champion on is also a former junior slam champion she won the june uh, 2011 junior french open girls singles title and you know again they talk about what she's had to overcome on her pro career to make sh- things work, but she's been doing it since seven, eight, nine years old, and you feel like there was even more there they could have tapped into. And look, they have more episodes to do exactly that. Um, but it was fascinating to see, dare I say, the homegrown product, right? It's the Josh Allen on the Bills. He goes to Wyoming, not Ohio State, not Michigan, not Texas or Florida. It's like this is the non-beaten path or the, the, less, the road less taken. We'll go with that metaphor. Um, and, I mean, again, every time she popped on the screen, you smiled, right? Like whether it's her interacting with her niece or even when they turn her husband, just the two of them in the hotel room and they're talking about their future and the husband saying her dreams are my dreams, which I mean, again, we talked about the Berrettini Tomjanovic dynamic. That's what Berrettini should have said to the phone interview when she was like, Hey, I got to do a 10 minute interview on tennis channels. That cool. If Berrettini goes, your dreams are my dreams. Tomjanovic is like, I'm not sure how you're answering that, but so what are you saying there? And then if Berrettini's like, well, actually, do you mind going to the conference room? She'd be like, well, he said his my dreams are his dreams, so sure, I'm down. Like, that's how you answer the question. Um, <laughs> it was delightful. Uh, okay, uh, good callback. Business center. Business yeah, center. business center, thank you. Uh, Jabir's tennis, also very unique. Oh, yeah. but I do want to respond to one thing you said. Yeah, Jabir is like, something about her. She has is- it. It's so human, mm-hmm. so, so, so human. And I think there's a, a multitude of different reasons for that. But but this was definitely a showcase of that. I mean, yeah, I, I think it goes across so many levels. Even, even the fact that she doesn't look like Maria Sakari, right? Like we admire that Sakari, you look at her and it's just like, this is an incredible athlete. Like this is a next level athlete. Jabir incredible athlete works very hard on her fitness all those things are true doesn't look like maria sakari though like there are so many things from personality to the way she plays 
uh, to the way she acts that that just make her feel even more human. I thought that was what this episode was all about, is showing the human side of each of these players. Because for Bedosa, she has the quote where people see my Twitter, my Instagram, my social media, and they think everything's all rosy, and it's not. And they showed what that looks like when these players are down, when they're not at the highs of their high and having those photographic moments. And again, they also show what keeps them human. And I think that's what the Jabir storyline did, which is having her family around her and you know, again, we we're keep doing Relationship 101. I suppose it is still a television show, so you're going to have that. The argument between, you know, the medicine ball incident. Is that what we're going to call it? If one's the business room yeah. scene, we'll call this the medicine ball incident where the husband throws the medicine ball and Jabir's like, you don't throw it right. And he's like, you don't catch it right. Then they get after <laughs> each other. They have to pause. I used to have a former uh, – my doubles partner on club tennis. It got to a point where I was like, dude – I'm just not going to warm up with you anymore because I don't like the pay. Like I much prefer warming up with this person because you just want to start ripping on the fourth ball. And like, that's not what I want to do when it's 8 a.m. And we're 21 years old, all these things. Um, And like, that's again, everyone's had a moment like that in their life, in a relationship. And it was, it's just interesting to see them talk through it. And clearly the trust they have in one another. Yeah, I mean, hey, the key to relationships, if we're doing this. Let's do it. Open it up. Is, Gil's relationship quarter. Is communication. <laughs> is communication. That is the key. That is wise. You can quote me on that. Okay. You can You can, You can. can put it, you can say, Gil Gross's key to relationships, communication. Okay. I, know I think it's you're one the first the, person to ever say One that. of the more profound things that's ever been said, actually. Uh, anyway. How great that would is... it be, though, if, like, 20 years from now, AI is, like, running through the formulas, and so they just attribute <laughs> this? That's like, oh, it was Gil Gross who said it the first time on this YouTube channel. It'd be good publicity for the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- that's what they did. They're like, hey, we're fighting over this. This is what we need to change. And, uh, yeah, that's admirable. Uh, her game is very unique. Uh, I thought it was explained well, but the highlight was, once again, Maria Sharapova mm-hmm. being like, Jabir would have smoked me, essentially. Like, yeah. I would have hated it and I would have like that would have been a huge problem. So I want tennis analysis out of you, Grusky. Jabur versus Sharapova. What does that look like? Well, Sharapova wants the ball in the strike zone, is what she means. And she wants the ball on her hip. She wants to be able to, you know, top spin ball that'll bounce a little bit higher. She's gonna be able to swing through it a little bit more cleanly. That's not what Shabur throws at you. Shabur throws in, as we learned, the drop shots, the slices. She's going to pull the trigger on a down-the-line ball. And I loved they were talking about Shabur in the middle of the match, how she needs to pick up her intensity, how she has to feel the need to go for it. And then they show her hitting a winner down the line. The word I would use is spontaneity. Shabur is very spontaneous in the things, the choices she makes out on court. There's a lot of improvisation. She makes you uncomfortable. That's never what Sharapova wanted to be because Sharapova wasn't the most fluid player. Sharapova was, in a sense, a robot. If you kept her in the rhythm, you were going to lose to her because she was going to be better than you at that speed. Again, here's the problem. Sharapova had some weapons, particularly when her serve was more effective. That would have given Jabir some issues. So Maria is selling herself. There was definitely... Maybe it's because we've both heard so much Maria Sharapova in our lives. I was like, that's not your real voice, Maria. Like, you're lying to the camera. This is embellishment if I've ever seen it. But it would be a tough matchup for Sharapova. You agree? 
I agree. I think it would have been it would have been an issue for her. I yeah. mean, Sharapova is someone like, for example, on her volleys, she would basically take a full swing. Yeah, sure. Uh, so like Jabur hits the drop shot. Now Sharapova needs to go to net and her volleys are very unconventional and she really doesn't want to be at net unless she has a a dry volley, a swing volley that she can put away. So that's just one example um, of, yeah, I think she was describing a, something that probably would have been, you know, an accurate matchup issue for her. That said, yeah, she she is Maria Sharapova and she can beat many different kinds of players. Otherwise, she wouldn't have had the career that she had. Uh, Jabur makes the final here in Madrid. She plays Jessica Pagula. Is it bad that one of the thoughts that I just kept having over and over again as I watched this was, we need one of these on Pagula. We need <laughs> one of these on Pagula. Oh, my God. Pagula's awesome. Like, she's a very normal person. And you can just tell, again, she has been around these sorts Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. She is very, very normal. She comes across as very, very normal. In reality... She is in the. She is extremely abnormal. Yeah, well, I mean, she had quite the upbringing. If that's what you're, it's very different than an own Jabur or a Paula Bedosa when your family owns an NFL team, and you know, when you talk, start talking about what's the bank account look like, and it starts with a B, for, and it's not broke. That's not the word they're using. <laughs> um, Where you did know, you get that line? You that didn't make that up. That was you didn't improv. make that up. Shout out to the LS shirt again. You have to come prepared <laughs> on this sort of day. Didn't you hear me? Run back the clip, folks. Scroll back 10 seconds. You'll see me stutter before I say that. And it's because all I can think in my head is, how are you going to get yourself out of this, Alex? And that's how I managed to do it. The point is, yeah, Pagula would be fascinating as well because she's the polar opposite of these two. Talk about someone who didn't win a junior slam and it felt like was not going to have this sort of breakthrough. And then it happens all of a sudden. Wouldn't shock me if she's a 2023 character. Like, I, it, if she's... Is she, I'm trying to think who who is the guy who came on to Red Bull's team at the end of one season. Then Alex Albon, I want to say, was who it was, who was the number two driver for Red Bull. She'll have a better story than his, but she could be the Alex Albon where we like see her in episode eight. And then by episode two of season two, she's a main character. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, again, yeah, she she is uh, very likable and very kind of down to earth, but it's juxtaposed with the fact that she she shouldn't be down to earth. She shouldn't necessarily uh, be that, you know, person who's drinking a beer at the press <laughs> conference, you know, with her guard down and super honest and and open with about everything. Uh, because, yeah, like she she quite literally I mean, her family basically owns a city in the United States, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is I mean, they do, right? I mean, Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo, New York, unless you're the mayor, the most powerful family in Buffalo, yeah. New York is the Pagulas. Uh, so. Let me tell you, city, municipality versus the Pagulas, I would argue the Pagulas are still the most important family uh, regardless. But yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. She would make a great story. And again... It made for great tennis, too. Like, it was fun to watch Pagula race out to the 4-1 lead, and I have an additional thought that I'm saving for when we get to our superlatives on why I think that tennis was so particularly exciting, but I thought they did a great job of what was one of the quotes that, again, isn't going to end up being my quote of the day, so I'll share it here now, when the coach, and I have a theory that, because I, if it's a binary system, viewers, 
Gil and I are both ones, not zero. We've played non-insignificant tennis in our lives. And in that sort of moment, or if you're watching someone you know play that sort of moment, there's not a doubt in my mind it's harder to watch someone than it is to actually play it yourself. And at one point, her husband goes, I'm so stressed. You don't know how much I'm stressed. Inside, I'm having a heart attack. Like, that's what it's like to watch someone you care about play a tennis match. And I really enjoyed their conveying of that, the excitement when she pulls through. It was really good. Yeah. Let's, uh, let us get to those superlatives, however. Um, quote of the episode. What do you got, Gruskin? So I can go first? Perfect. Yeah. We'll do snake draft style. You go first next. Um, okay. And speaking of that term next... That has to be the quote of the the episode when Onjabur is uh, Onjabur, excuse me, is giving hugs to people at the end of a victory, and she gives the first hug, and she just goes next, and the next person steps up and gives her a hug, and then she goes, all right, next, and they're like going through the hug line. And I have a very loving family who attended many of my matches over the years. And that's the best process in the world. And that's what you're thinking in my head. You're like, all right, I've hugged mom, I've hugged dad. I've hugged grandma. Now I can finally go talk to my brothers finally about this match. Like you could see Jabur going through that process. And I thought it was hilarious. Quote of the episode uh, for me. Um, and <laughs> she said next when there was nobody left also, right? Yeah, it was just good. It was funny. Yeah, it was yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, for me, we've talked about both of them. It's it's uh, Sharapova on why she'd get smoked by Jabur. Yeah. And, uh, it is also um, Kareem, Anz's husband, uh, recounting their medicine ball fight where, you know, he was like, your throat, you can't throw, you can't yeah. catch. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, – that was perfect. That the was other perfect. nominee would be if you were to describe Prakash Amritaj in one clip, it would be the clip they had of this where it was like, own Jabur, and you're just like, he's back. You're just like, Prakash. I'm glad they included that because yeah, there's no way – like players at Masters 1000s tournaments, like especially top players who win – This is the Tennis win. Channel interviewer, by the way. Yes. Yeah. This is part of their experience. Like yes. you win a match and you go get – you go see Prakash so that he can hype <laughs> you up and yeah. make you feel like a million bucks. Like that's well what you do. Yeah, well said. Who won the episode? I will give it to Jabur's mother. For the incredible looking meal, I mean, I thought it's a spread. that we were, it was the a spread. spread was unbelievable. What's that Netflix show like? I think it might be Top Chef. It was, yeah. uh, it's, or it's the really Great big. British Bake Off or whatever, whatever that one. Oh, is. Chef's Table, Chef's yeah. Table. Jabur's mom whips up something that would look at home on Chef's Table, well, and for that she gets the victory here. This will say something about my background, but and I'm not saying this complaining. I just want to be clear. Both my parents worked growing up and so you know neither of them had time to cook dinner let's just say the dinners i ate from ages one to i mean the formula was fine at age one but ages four to like 15 or 16 uh were not great like there's this there's this incident we call pineapple cheddar chicken where we all looked at each other as a family and we were like we can never let this happen again and i had that experience versus one of my best friends growing up whose mom cooked dinner every night just exquisite home-cooked meals he is an extraordinary athlete who played at Dartmouth. 
my tennis career ended when I was in high school. And I just think that makes the difference. To have those home-cooked meals every day, it will get the extra 10% of athleticism out of you. And let the record show, by the way, my mom has now turned into a fantastic chef. I tell her, if I had this cooking when I was 12, I'd still be playing in the league. Um, but yeah, like that's why Jabir gets the bump here. That's not the correct pick, though. Are you ready to hear mine? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I giggle because I know he's going to like it. You know how when they play the sequences, when they're going to do like a couple match highlights in a row or they're going to go through the draw pretty consecutively and it starts going like dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 yeah, are you going to give it dum. to the composer? It's 100% the composer who gets <laughs> me just like hyped up whenever it's tennis time. And like, it, again, let's say you look off for a little bit or someone texts you while you're watching the episode. The moment that uh, that music snaps back on, you're like tennis time. Like I got to lock in. And I think <laughs> they've used exciting music. I think the scores, there's my technical term, the scores have been phenomenal thus far. And so I give him a winner for episode four. And did you look up his name? No, <laughs> no, I clicked play next. Okay. Well, I'll have, you know, Grusky break point is scored by Edmund, Butt. okay. The fact that I'm a fan of a someone named Edmund, like not shocking. B, you've seen my donk, not shocking. Like, yeah, shout out Edmund Butt. Then he is my winner of episode four. I think he continues to get you hyped at the right moments, but also get you sentimental when needed. I cannot wait to see which person who was not in the episode will win the winner of episode five. Well, let me just ask this. How is my impression of the dum-dum? Like, do you know the sound I'm talking about? Yeah, like the dramatic. Yeah, yes, because yes, I, I want you to know that the first eight minutes while we were recording today, that was going through my head. That's <laughs> all I could hear in my ears because I watched the episode before we started. It's just, That's it's what they want. Look, any any great show has that those themes in your head. Um, we, we, in episode zero, we talked about some of our favorite TV shows. And I think, uh, one thing that is universally accepted about one of the shows that I name drop succession is that the music is just killer. Like it just yeah. drives that thing home. Uh, and like everyone watching, usually the composers to your point, Edmund, Butt here is not going to be generally discussed. Like I'm like we were talking to uh to to Ben Rothenberg uh, the other day about how everybody was doing uh breakpoint reviews, including us. I'm sorry, but Ben and Courtney did not talk about Edmund. Edmund yeah. did not make the show. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. So yeah, the well fact said. that uh that the really truly great composers uh, scores might be so good that they get a shout out on on things like this. This is what I'm saying. You want your in-depth analysis of Breakpoint? This is where you turn to. We're talking admin, butt, and everything else as well. <laughs> for Alex Gruskin, I am Gil Gross. Thank you for watching. This has been episode four. Great expectations of Breakpoint. 